for Almighty Yahweh. Father, we come before your throne this morning on the last great day, a very important day in your word. We pray that we would recognize the value, the prophetic importance of this time, the uh, command that we are to be here, that we are to worship you during this time, to congregate, to fellowship. And, you know, we pray that you would grant a special blessing for those who stepped out in faith this year and, and was here and worshiped you in spirit and truth, congregated as your command is. And we pray for those who are unable that you would also show a spirit of blessing to them as well. And we uh, pray that your blessings would be upon us as we leave this place as well and that you would see us through another year, especially for those who are without fellowship and those who rely on the internet and other ways to worship you. Father, we thank you for all the blessings of this feast. We thank you for the fellowship. We thank you for the the great moments and the great times. We thank you for the spirit of shalom and peace. We thank you for the worship. We thank you for the, the friendship and for the unity. We also thank you for the lack of sickness this year, Father, that you've been good to us. And we thank you and we give you all praise. And we ask all this in the name of your son, Yahshua the Messiah. Hallelujah. Amen. I'd like to welcome you all here. It is a uh, blessing to once again see you. And, you know, I pray that this time has been a blessing to you. There's nothing like, I say, the Feast of Tabernacles. And, of course, we're in the last great day. And, but this time is a very special time. It represents a very special time within Yahweh's prophetic calendar, Yahweh's prophetic plan of salvation. But I pray that it's been a great time for you, that it's rejuvenated you, that it's that has um, given you more insight, given you more excitement for the faith, more passion, more drive for Yahweh's word. You know, this feast is uh, technically separate from the feast we just observed, Sukkot. We believe that this time, this day, represents the great white throne judgment of mankind. The great judgment, the second resurrection, the second death, as scripture calls it. This time is an important time within Yahweh's word, So we're not going to focus on this, but I did want to bring this out. You know, Revelation 20, verse 12, we find there that during this time, Yahshua will judge. We know that the the Lamb of Yahweh will judge all of mankind. And it says there that they're going to be judged based on their works, how they lived, what they did, how they behaved, how they worshiped, their ethics and their morality, and how well they obeyed their Father in heaven. All of those factors will play a part in this judgment. You know, we also know that at this time, it will be Yahshua again who will judge mankind. And for this reason, I believe it's important that we as believers understand who our Savior is, his core values, what he represents within the word, how he worshiped when he was here, and those things that he's concerned with. So today we're going to focus on some of those core values. But, you know, interestingly enough, we find a reference about Yahshua in on this day, the last great day. And Yahshua gives a message, short message. So I want to refer there first today. So John 7, of course, we know that Yahshua is keeping Sukkot here, and now we see the last great day, referring to the eighth day. 37 through 38 there of John 7, it says, In the last day, the the great day of the feast, Yahshua stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believes on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living waters. You know, we see here that Yahshua spoke, he gave a message on the last great day, this day, the day that we're in right now. You know, at this time, he encouraged all those who thirst, all those who were thirsty to come and and to drink of what he offered. He explained here that those who believed on him would flow living waters, living waters. You know, Yahshua's words here were symbolic of what the Jews would do on this day. The last great day, we can read about this within Jewish literature. They would gather water from the pool of Siloam. It was a great pool right near the temple, fairly close. And they would then take this water and pour it upon the foot of the altar. Yahshua confirms here that he is the living waters. They might have taken from the pool of Siloam, which was a ritual bath, according to most scholars and archaeologists. I spoke with the archaeologist that found the pool of Siloam, Eli Shukran, in our first visit to the land of Israel. Phenomenal place and a great, great event there, seeing and being there, this pool of Siloam. So such rich in history. But here, Yahshua, again, he confirms that he's a true living waters and that through him we find life everlasting, life eternal. 
You know, considering that Yahshua said this here on the last great day, I want to spend some time talking about Yahshua and his character, who he was, and what he represented, the core values of who he was. Now, I say some because we possibly could not speak of all of his core values, not in a message, probably not in a series of messages. But what we're going to review today, I believe, are some of the more important points. So I would encourage everybody to focus on the message and what is said. In this message, we're going to review how he was without sin. We know that our Savior was without sin. He was without guile. He was without deceit. We also know that he loved mankind, and he commanded that we also show that same love. He was humbled. In fact, we find that he humbled himself as a servant. That's one of the most impressive things, I believe, of our Savior, especially considering who he was, and we'll talk more about that. We also know that he was one who showed incredible forgiveness and compassion. And that's something I really want to drive home because I believe as, as disciples of our Savior, we need to also be showing this same compassion. I've seen some brutal believers out there over the years. They do a great job with certain things, but not with compassion. And I believe that compassion is certainly an important component of who our Savior was. Now, we're also going to see that he rejected a pharisaical attitude and also the commandments of men. This was kind of a thorn in his side during most of his ministry, so we're going to focus on that for just a few minutes as well today. You know, through these core values, we come to realize his ethics. We come to realize who he was. We come to realize what was important to him. And also we come to realize how he worshipped. You know, in 1 Peter 2, verse 21, we're told that we're to follow in his example. It says, For even here unto were you called. You see, this is something we should be doing. This is a calling that we've all received. It says, because Messiah also suffered for us, leaving, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. You know, we see here that Yahshua was set forth as, as what? It says here that he was set forth as an example, something to follow, a guide. You know, the word example here is from the Greek, hupagrimos. Strong's defines this as a copy for imitation. A copy for imitation. That is how Strong's defines this Greek word. In the Greek, we find that we're to emulate our Savior. We're to emulate who and what he was. This means that we must become like him. And that is one of the driving, driving goals that we should have as believers. To become more like him. Because if we go through life, if we do not become like him, if we do not emulate who he, is, who he was and who he is today and, and the examples that he set forth during his ministry, I can assure you that we will not be found worthy of this first resurrection. And that's why we're here. We're all striving to be found worthy of this first resurrection. When Yahshua comes, it says that he will draw his own, those in him. So again, it's so important that we understand this point, that we are like him, that we emulate, that we mimic that we become like him. This is a command. This is not an optional thing. This is not something we may or may not do. No, we're to become like him. This means that we, we must think like him. We must behave like him. We must view the world as he viewed the world. We must also worship as he worshiped. We must become like him in every which way. So as believers, how do we measure up? How do we measure up? How do we measure up to our standard? To our example, to the one who bled and died for our sins, does our ethics and behavior reflect him? Do we view the world as he viewed the world? Do we worship as he worshiped? Or do we fall short in one or more of these areas? You know, if we're going to be found worthy again of this first resurrection, then we must become like him. We must mimic him in every way. And this is one reason why this message is so important, especially this time. Again, on this day... He told the Jews, if you're thirsty, if you want living waters, if you want eternal life, you come to me. He is the living waters. Those who believe that they can live as they did before immersion or baptism and still be found worthy, they need to think again. They really need to reevaluate their position. Because I can assure you that's just not the case. You know, the truth that we must all understand is that for us to be found worthy... Change must happen. You know, I've often said the only constant about a believer is change. We should all be striving to change. And I don't care how young or old you might be. I can assure you that there is change 
that must occur. And not just any change, we must change to be more like our Savior, to emulate Him. And believe me when I say this kind of change is not easy. You know, this walk is not easy. It's not easy learning how to be like Him, to to live according to His ethics, to live according to His ways, to, to behave and to think as He behaved and thought. This is not an easy task. And I can assure you, we all fall short of this goal. But as believers, we should strive every day to become more like Him. And if we do not do this, again, we're falling short. So again, this is such an important message. We must become like Him, but this is not easy. It requires a lifetime of focus, discipline, and dedication. We must be resolute. That's one of the things I often say when I'm doing counseling for immersion. I say we must have a resolute mind. Meaning that when we come across things we may not know, because we know, no, nobody knows everything, and, and we're all learning. But, but we must have that resolute mind that when we find something new or something different or something that we may not be doing or thinking the way we should be thinking, that we must have a resolute mind to adopt that thing we're missing. Now we also uh, find, we find the first core that I want to focus on, and it's not too far from here, 1 Peter 2, verse 22. And this is a really important description of our Savior. Really important that we understand this point. It says, who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. So it says here that Joshua had absolutely no sin. He had no iniquity. He had no guile, it says. You know, we know from 1 John 3, 4 that sin is what? The sin is a transgression or the breaking of the commandments. That's what Scripture says. Is the transgression or breaking of the commandments. You know, we see here that Joshua had no sin, meaning that he never broke a commandment. Isn't that... Isn't it hard to fathom, you know, all his years walking this earth, and it says that he never broke a commandment, but that's what Scripture says, and I believe it. Yahshua never broke a commandment. Now, even though we've all fallen short, and we have as believers, we know that we're to strive to be without sin, and that's the secret. You know, some people say, oh, that's just not something we can do. And maybe it's not something we could do, not on that level, but, but it's something that we should strive to do, something that we should, that we should always eagerly do better. You know, think about what this means. This means that we must be in full compliance to the commandments. Full compliance to Yahweh's word. You know, as human beings, we again know that we all fall short. Even Paul. You know, I love the Apostle Paul. I love his writings. I know some people have this thing against the Apostle Paul. I like the Apostle Paul. Apostle Paul struggled, and he was a great man. You know, Romans 7, verse 15, he said, But what I hate, that I do. And that was after his conversion. You see, he recognized that even though he attempted, even though he tried, even though he wanted to do good, he also recognized that he fell short as believers. Now, I don't believe it was anything egregious, but he recognized that he was not perfect. He recognized, again, that he fell short. Now, again, we all fall short, but we should do our very best to obey Yahweh. And that's really the message for this passage. We should do our very, very best and not blame, not make excuses, but, again, do our very best when it comes to Yahweh's word. Again, this requires focus, this requires discipline, this requires a lifetime of dedication. And not just any dedication, but serious dedication to the one we worship. Now it also says here that Joshua had no guile. The word guile comes from the Greek doulos. It refers to deceit or deception. I want to read Barnes Notes, says this about guile here in reference to Joshua's life. It says, there are, quote, there was no deceit, hypocrisy, or insincerity. He, Joshua, was in all respects what he professed to be, and he imposed on no one by any false or an unfounded claim. You know, for a moment, consider what this means. Joshua had nothing to hide. Joshua had nothing to hide, nothing to be ashamed of. How many here can say that we have nothing to hide? How many here can say that we have nothing to be ashamed of? Or nobody here can say that. How many here can say that we have no regrets? How many of us can say that we've never done or said anything we've later regretted? You know, I'm sure that we've all done something wrong, many things wrong. I'm sure that we all have things we've regretted. I'm sure that we have things we wish we could go back and change and redo. Now, even though, again, we acknowledge that we are fallible human beings, and as we know, it's not possible to go back and amend those mistakes 
But you know, Yahweh is a loving, mighty one too. We need to remember that as well. Yahweh says that if we forgive our sins, that he's faithful to forget those sins. And that's the one thing, I mean, he's given his son. And even after his son, if we sin, Yahweh says that if we humbly approach him, if we, forget, if we, if we repent and confess, that he's going to forgive our sins. You know, we should strive to live a life of free, uh, free from deceit, free from hypocrisy. We should be sincere. We should be open. We should be honest as our Savior was. I want to talk now about another core value, and this, this is um, love. Of course, we know that love is the greatest of the attributes. We see that in 1 Corinthians 13, such an important passage. I'm not going to turn there today, but most of us probably know this. So John 13, verse 1, it says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Yahshua knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto, this fa- unto the Father, having loved his own, which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. You know, we see here that this passage took place right before the Passover, right before Yahshua would shed his blood for the sins of mankind, right before he offered himself and gave everything so that we might have the hope of eternal life within the kingdom. It says here that he loved his own, even unto the end. Now, the word love here is an important word in the Greek language. It comes from the Greek agapio. Agapio. I want to read a few definitions for agapio. The first one is from the Expositor's Bible Dictionary. It says agapio does not denote affection or romantic attachment. You see, we often, I think, don't understand the, the, the word agape or agapio and what it means and what it represents. It goes on to say it rather denotes caring love, a deliberate attitude of mind that concerns itself with the well-being of the one loved. Self-devotion, not self-satisfaction is its dominant trait. So self-devotion, not self-satisfaction. It's not about you, it's about others. That's agapio. Another reference here, the word studies from the New Testament, Greek New Testament, says it speaks of a love which is awakened by a sense of value in an object which causes one to prize it. You see, it cares for that object. It springs from an apprehension of the preciousness of an object. And that's the way we should feel about one another. We should feel this way about one another. We should agape one another. We should see one another as precious. And we should prize those here. Now the last one here is from John Phillips. This is exploring Ephesians and Philippians. And it goes on to say here, agape the highest kind of love, spontaneous love, love irrespective of rights. The word carries the idea of making much of a person. You see, it's focused not on you, but on the other. We tend to think of love primarily in terms of emotions, and we do. That's what we often think of, love and, and the emotional attachment. But it's not agapio. That is a natural because we are most conscious of love in the realm of emotions. Yahweh, however, relates love to the will rather than to emotions. He commands us to love. The emotions we associate with falling in love sometimes fluctuate. Sometimes that fade, uh, fade away altogether. Emotions need to be cultivated. The word agapio, or agape, refers to love as a principle. The New Testament reserves another word, filio, for love as a filling. Filio is distinct from love as a fact and is associated instead with the ideas of kissing and fondness. Agape, not filio, is always used to describe man's love for Yahweh. Yahweh does not tell us to be fond of him. He commands us to love, or agapio, him. You know, we see here that there is a distinction between love that is based on emotion, and we all know what that love is, and love that is a deliberate outward concern for others, a concern more for the other person than our own self. You know, based on the Greek here, Yahshua loved us in the latter way. He was concerned about our eternal salvation, and we find that through what he did. This is why he died for mankind and why he loved us unto the end. You know, as brethren in the faith, do we love one another as Joshua loved us? And again, it's not this emotional love. It's not it. It's not what we find in the Greek. You know, the easiest way to know this is by asking yourself, do I share concern for those in this room? Do I share concern for those in the faith? Do I care about the well-being of my brother or sister? 
or am I primarily concerned about myself? You know, if we're going to emulate our Savior, then we must learn how to have a real concern for those in the faith. You know, I can tell you right now that if we're going through the motions, and there's a lot of believers out there going through the motions, they are great when it comes to the Sabbath, when it comes to the clean foods, when it comes to all these items. But if we are missing this, I can assure you that we will not be found worthy in the end. Yahweh wants more than that. He demands more than that. He requires more than that. And that is what we find here from our Savior. Now, I want to look at one more passage here from our Savior, John 15. John 15, 12 through 13, it says, This is my commandment. What is a commandment? A commandment is something that, that we are required to do, right? It's not optional. It's not something we can choose to ignore. No, it's something we are commanded, we are obligated to do. It says that you love one another. That you love one another as I have loved you. Notice that. We're commanded to love one another as how? As Yahshua loved us. That a man for greater, greater love, it says, hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. You know, we see here that Yahshua gave a commandment, and that commandment was to love one another as he loved us. The word love here is from the Greek agapio. It's not filio. We don't love one another emotionally, although I think emotions obviously are there, and there's nothing wrong with that. You know, I think there should be some emotional attachment, but there needs to be more than that, as we find here. You know, according to Yahshua, what is the highest or greatest form of agapeo? Where it says here that this is being able to lay down our life for another, being able to lay down our life for our friends, being able to lay down our lives for those in the faith. I want to pause here. I'm going to ask something, and I want you to really think about it. Are we willing to die for those in this room? Take a moment, just consider that. I'm going to pause for just a few moments, but self-reflect. Are we willing to die for those in this room? You know, this question of whether or not we're willing to die for those in the faith is crucial. It helps us to gauge whether our love is filio or agapio, and whether we are following in Yahshua's examples, whether we are emulating who he was, whether we're emulating his example, whether we're emulating his love, his agapio, or whether we're not. Now, another core value of our Savior that I want to speak about today is, is um, the concept of serving. Serving. This is a big one. So Matthew 20, 27 through 20, it says, And whosoever will be chief will be greatest among you. Let him be your servant, even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister, and to give his life a ransom for many. You know, this is one of my favorite passages. It really is. I really love this passage. Yahshua speaks here about how we become great. How we become great in the kingdom. Don't we all want to become great in the kingdom? There's nothing wrong, by the way, with wanting to become great in the kingdom. We should all have this aspiration to become great in the kingdom. But how do we do that? How do we become great within Yahweh's kingdom? Or it says here that to become great, to become great, we must serve. We must serve. That is how we become great. You know, a few weeks ago, I shared a quote on my LinkedIn account from Robert Greenleaf which said good leaders must first become good servants. Leadership is not about exalting yourself or believing that you're better than others. Good leadership is serving and helping those in need. You know, whatever that might be, that's good leadership. Anybody, you know, they, they say in management, anybody can, can be a boss, but not everybody can be a good leader. Because leadership has values and skill sets and one of those, I believe, is this concept of serving. You know, Yahshua goes on here to say that he came not to be ministered unto, but to minister. You know, I kind of prefer how the NIV renders this passage. It says, just as a man of sin did not come to be served, but to serve. You know, I'm always humbled when I consider the implications of what the Messiah says here. It's always kind of humbling. 
This is the son of Yahweh, the Debar, the Lagos, the one who created the heavens and the earth. And yet we find here that he came to serve. Think about that for just a moment. He preexisted with Yahweh. He was there in the beginning. According to scripture, all things were created through him. Yet yet we find here that he came to serve. You know, if Yahshua humbled himself and served, so should we. And I hope that we've done that during this feast. And I think I've seen a lot of serving during this feast, so I would uh, give everybody some kudos. I think you've done a great job, and I would encourage us to do even better, to do better, because this is an important part of what it is to be a believer, is serving, is helping those in need, is forsaking self, is realizing that we're not number one, that we're not the center of the universe, but that we are here to serve and to help and to help others. You know, it feels good to serve others. I'm not real uh, big on psychology, but psychology recognizes the benefit of serving. I wanted to read just from Psychology Today, just an excerpt from an article. I think I have it on the slide here. When we help others, we feel happy. There appears to be a direct correlation with overall well-being and giving our time, money, and other resources to a cause that we are passionate about. Studies suggest that people who volunteer report better health and more happiness than people who do not volunteer. So we see, even from man's science, if you will, recognizes the value of serving. When we serve, when we help others, when we give of ourselves, we are happier people. You know, it seems like some of the most miserable people are those who are selfish, even those who have an abundance. But they are some of the most miserable people you will ever meet. Because, again, they don't understand this concept of serving, of helping those in need. And, you know, you know we're here obviously focused on the Bible and focused on the faith. But this is a core concept that is valid in life. When we serve, when we help others, it feels good. And we're going to benefit from it. So I would encourage everybody not only to look for opportunities to serve here, absolutely look for opportunities to serve here, but go beyond that. You know, go beyond that throughout the year. Look for ways you can help others, strangers. Now, this, this just really helps us. And Yahweh looks fondly upon this. He really does. He, he wants us to be servants as, as his son was. Now, I want to focus on another kind of related value, and that is humility. Here's what Paul says in Philippians 2, 5 through 10. He says, let this mind uh, be in you. So again, an emphatic command, I believe, let this mind be in you. Says all scripture is profitable, right? For correction, reproof. This is one of those scriptures. Says, which was also Messiah Yahshua, who being in the form of Elohim, thought it not robbery to be equal with Elohim, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant, it says, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself. Notice that. We've already read how he served. But we see here that this great, great Savior, this being, this man who was there from the beginning, after Yahweh brought him into existence, it says that he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the stake. Wherefore, Yahweh hath highly exalted him. Notice why he was exalted. Because he humbled himself. And as a result of that humility, he was highly exalted. It's not wrong to want to be great in the kingdom. But if we're going to be great, we must do what we find here. It says, Wherefore Yahweh hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. And at the name of Yahshua, every knee shall bow, should bow, and we know that that will happen. Of things in heaven, of things in earth, and things under the earth. So here we again find this passage by the Apostle Paul. And he begins here by saying, let this mind be in you. What he's saying here is that we should have the mind of Messiah. That's what he's expounding. This is his message. He also speaks here about humility and uses Yahshua here as the example. 
of what humility represents. You know, we see here that Yahshua humbled himself and took on the form of a servant. Such an important concept to understand. You know, Yahshua, again, had every reason to come and be exalted. After all, he was the son of Yahweh, and he was many, many wonderful things, but he chose not to do that. He humbled himself, and he took on the form of a servant and was obedient unto death. You know, in many ways, I believe that this short passage summarizes what we've seen thus far. You know, we've talked about love. We've talked about self-sacrifice. We've talked about the need for serving others. We see all that here. Yahshua personified these core values, and as his disciples were, to follow these core values. We're again to do as he did. We're to follow as he, as he lived. And again, remember where the living waters flow from. Today is those living waters. Again, they would take the water from the pool of Siloam and they would pour it upon the foot of the altar. Yahshua is those living waters. The water that would come from the Gihon. Yahshua is these living waters and we're to emulate him because that is where our life comes from. We're to emulate him. Let me give you some examples of humility. It's realizing that we're fallible. It's realizing that we're imperfect. It's realizing that we're not always right. It's realizing that we make mistakes, every one of us. It's recognizing that the lives of others are equally important to ours. That's a big one if you think about it. Because we're most often concerned about us in our own life. And most human beings will do absolutely almost anything to preserve that life. But humility is recognizing that your life is of no more value than the person next to you. It's being able to admit wrong and to reconcile a dispute, even when we've been personally hurt. Humility is a hard thing for mankind. It goes against human nature. You see, human nature wants to be exalted, wants to be lifted up, wants to be glorified, wants to be right. But as we see here, this is not Yahweh's way. And this is not the example our Savior set. So again, if we're going to be found worthy and exalted in the kingdom, we must first learn how to humble ourselves. And we do that today. If we can't do this now... We're not going to be given greatness in the kingdom. We must first learn how to humble ourselves if we're going to be great. Now, another core value, which is equally, I believe, important, is forgiveness. Forgiveness. You know, we see this ethic throughout his ministry. Our Savior showed forgiveness to many. I'm going to look at just one example today from Luke. I mean, I could have chosen many, many examples, but this one's from Luke. Luke 23, 34. It says there then, said Yahshua, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted his raiment and cast lots. You know, this was taking place as Yahshua was hanging on that tree, dying on that tree. At this point, he was on the tree, battered and bloodied. But we find here that he had the gumption, he had the forgiveness and the compassion to ask that Yahweh forgave those there. That Yahweh forgave those responsible for his death. You know, this level of forgiveness and mercy is beyond most. But again, as his disciples were to emulate this. Again, just consider the ramifications here. Consider the example here. Yahshua is hanging on this tree. He is bloodied, he is bruised, he is losing his life. And he still has that compassion, that forgiveness to look up to Yahweh and ask that he would show forgiveness to those guilty of this atrocity. You know, like humility, forgiveness is a hard thing for people, including those in the faith. I've seen examples in the assembly where believers, they can hold a personal grudge for years. And I fear for those people. Because of examples like the one here. We must, as believers, learn how to forgive. And you know, forgiving is, is not, I mean, forgiving is, is letting it go. Letting it go. Not holding on to that animosity. Not holding on to that anger. We must let it go. If, if we're holding on, it doesn't care what the, it doesn't matter why we're holding forgiveness. It doesn't matter what they've done. We are the ones to blame if we're holding animosity. You know, Matthew 18, Peter asked Joshua how often we're to 
forgive. His response was 70 times 7, or we know that this number is metaphoric or symbolic. The moral obligation is that we're to forgive as often as we're asked for forgiveness. There's no number, there's no count, there's no times. If we've been wronged and they come to us and ask for forgiveness, we are to forgive them. We also know that our forgiveness to others affects how Yahweh forgives us. You know, I think so many people, they forget this fact. They believe that they can do certain things, but Yahweh is going to do something else. Or the same values and ethics we show, I can assure you, Yahweh is going to show us. You know, for example, Matthew 6, Yahshua said this, For if you forgive men their trespasses, your Father, Heavenly Father will forgive you. But, he says this, he says, But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Notice there he doesn't say maybe. He says the Father will not. Again, a very emphatic statement, will not. So we see here, if we want Yahweh to forgive us, what must we do? We must be willing to forgive others. We must reciprocate. We must follow in his example. We must show that same compassion. And if we don't, I don't care how well you keep the Sabbath. I don't care how well you pronounce the name. I don't care how well you keep the dietary food laws. I don't care how well you dot every I and you cross every T. I can assure you that you will not be blessed at the end if we are holding unjustly forgiveness and com- uh, or uh, unjustly uh, animosity or, or hatred. Another core value is compassion. We've already kind of talked about this, but I want to focus specifically on compassion. We see this in Mark 1, 40 through 42. And again, just like forgiveness, there's many, many, many examples we could look at, but I kind of like this one here. It says, There came a leper to him, besieging him, and kneeling down to him, and saying unto him, If thou will, thou can make me clean. Well, number one, we see here that this man had just incredible faith. You see, he believed in Yahweh. He believed in the Messiah. And we find here, or we're going to see here, that Yahshua fulfilled that request. He says, And Yahshua moved with compassion. Moved with compassion. Put forth his hand and touched him and said unto him, I will be you clean. And as soon as he had spoken immediately, the leprosy departed from him, and he was cleansed. So we see in this passage an example of Yahshua's healing. He healed a man here of leprosy. Leprosy. It says here that he was moved with compassion. Now, in the Greek, the word compassion means to feel sympathy or to show pity. You know, this is one of the many examples, as I mentioned, of Yahshua showing compassion. He loved mankind. And, you know, often went out of his way to show compassion, even sometimes to his own detriment. You see, his first concern was not himself. It was for others. It was for others, and that's why he was so compassionate. You know, as believers in the Messiah, do we share this same compassion? When we see someone in need, do we have an inward desire or compulsion to help that person? Or do we ignore that person? Do we, do we not show pity, concern, or compassion? Yahshua showed compassion, so should we. You know, a great example of compassion, I believe, is Yahshua's parable of the good Samaritan. I'm not going to read it, but it's found in Luke 10, verse 25. And in this parable, we find a man that was traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. And along the way, he was attacked by robbers, where he was beaten and stripped of his clothes and left for dead along the road side. As he lied on the ground, we find in the parable that a priest came along, but instead of helping the priest, walked on the other side to avoid the man. Next, we find within the parable that a Levite came along. He did the same. He walked on the other side to avoid the man in distress. And we finally, in this parable, we see a Samaritan, which was kind of looked down upon, came along, showed compassion on the man. He dressed the wounds, brought him to an inn, and ensured that his injuries would be cared for. You know, this parable is a great example of compassion, I believe. Well, the priest and Levite kept on walking, and a good, as I said, I'm sure these, these two men, the Levite and priests, they were, I'm sure, very, very righteous men from the outward. But we find here that they walked on by. 
They showed no pity. They showed no, no compassion. The good Samaritan here showed kindness by helping and caring for this man. Yahweh is looking for people like this good Samaritan. He is looking for people like that from you and me. And if we can't be this good Samaritan, again, I believe that we're falling short. I believe we're not emulating our Savior. I believe that we're not following in his examples. We must emulate this good Samaritan. We must emulate this man who stopped, who showed compassion, and who ensured that this man was cared for. This man had cost this good Samaritan money and time, and, but he did this because it was the right thing to do. And it's the right thing for us to do. Now, in Matthew 23, another core value of our Savior was his rejection of this pharisaical attitude. I want to read just uh, one passage reflecting this. Matthew 23, 1 through 5, it says, Then spake Joshua to the multitude and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees said in Moses' the seed. All therefore, whatsoever they bid you observe, that observe and do. But do not you observe or after their works. For they say and do not. For they bind heavy burdens and grievous to be borne. And lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. But all their works they do for to be seen of men. They make broad their phylacteries and enlarge the borders of their garments. Yahshua begins here by speaking about this Moses' seat. I want to talk about that for just a moment. He says here, whatever on Moses' seat, whatever they bid you, you observe and do. Now the context here is important. It's important to understand what is meant by Moses' seat. When we were in Israel, we got to see a seat of Moses. We got to see a replica, and we got to see a, a, the actual seat at the Israeli Museum. And it was just a seat that they would sit on. They would read during that time from the law of Moses. That's why Yahshua could say whatever they say, whatever they command, whatever they bid you to do. Because this is what we should be doing as believers, following the the law of Moses, following the Torah. This was the reason why Yahshua could say this. Now it goes on here to say not to those following their works. Why? It says here that they say and do not. They say and do not. Now, he goes on to say, again, that we're to abstain from this. Now, what word describes this behavior? Hypocrisy. This is really hypocrisy. And one thing that Joshua could not stand was hypocrisy. You know, as believers, it's so important that we refrain from being hypocritical, saying one thing, doing another. You know, I've seen... Examples over the, you know, with this over the years from many, many assemblies, people pretending to be something they are not. You know, in the book of Galatians, in the book of Galatians, Yahweh says, Be not deceived. Yahweh is not mocked. Be not deceived. Yahweh is not mocked. You know, it's one thing deceiving those around us, it's one thing deceiving those in this room. I can assure you, we will not deceive the one we worship. We can try, but we will fail. I don't care what front, I don't care how sly you are. I can assure you that you will not deceive Yahweh. Yahshua was always genuine in his faith. He was, thank you, there was no front. There was no hidden agenda. There was no secret sin. As his disciples were to be genuine in our faith, Yahweh's looking for those who are sincere, those who are honest, those who are authentic. You know, we try to be that way in this ministry, authentic. We are who we are. We don't put up a front. We try not to anyway. We try to practice what we preach, and we recognize that we're no better than anybody else. And that is what we should be doing as ministers. That's what everybody should be doing here in this room. You know, Yahshua also accused the Pharisees here of laying heavy burdens upon the people that they themselves were unwilling, it says, to bear. I've seen this again with many, many assemblies, you know, taking extreme views and forcing those views upon the people. But they themselves 
unwilling to set the example. I've seen that. And that's not something we should be doing as believers. We should set the example. We should be sincere. We should be honest. We should be authentic in who we are as believers. You know, whatever we expect from others, we ourselves should be willing to bear. To do otherwise is hypocritical. We also see here that these pharisaical leaders would do anything to be seen of men or for man's recognition. It says here that they would make broad their phylacteries and enlarge the borders of their garments as these were hanging to the ground to gain some attention from men. If what we do is motivated for the purpose of gaining fame or notoriety, let me tell you today that you're wasting your time. If what we are doing is for fame or notoriety, we are wasting our time. As we see here, Yahshua reprimanded these men for this reason. Everything they did was to increase their own personal recognition, their agenda, their self-worth. The lesson here is this. We're to be sincere. We're to be honest in our faith and realize that our efforts should not be motivated by, by pleasing man, but by an inward desire to please Yahweh. I want to consider one more core value. One more core value. We see in Matthew 15, starting in verse 1, that Yahshua rejected the commandments of men. And this goes along more with how he worshipped, what he would accept and what he would not accept. Matthew 15, 1 through 3, says, Then came to Yahshua scribes and Pharisees. They were, after, they were always after him, always after him. Which were Jerusalem, saying, Why do thy disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they wash not their hands when they eat bread. But he answered and said unto them, Why do you also transgress the commandment of Elohim by your traditions? You know, we find here that the scribes and Pharisees coming to Yahshua, asking him, Why are your disciples not following, not, not doing the traditions of the elders? Now, before going on, what are these traditions? Are these rabbinical traditions, rabbinical washings? found in places like the Talmud and the Mishnah. You know, they're not found in Scripture. In fact, Yahshua said here that they transgressed the commandments of Elohim. You see, they transgressed the word by their own traditions. They were more focused on what they wanted to believe than what Yahweh said to believe. They put more emphasis on their own man-made traditions than on Yahweh's word. You know, a few years ago, talking to a believer, done for quite some time, he was dabbling in Judaism, didn't live here, but he was dabbling in Judaism, going to temple and synagogue, and, and he was almost to the point of converting to Judaism, but he could not quite bring himself to the rejection of the Messiah, and uh, he came back. But you know, we were having a discussion on the phone, and he made an observation, and he says, you know, you're more Jewish than the Jews from the standpoint of you follow scripture more than they do because they have all their man-made traditions. And you don't do that. You, you, you just don't do that. You follow scripture and, and you don't bother with those man-made traditions and say you're more Jewish than the Jews. I thought, you know, that's a pretty good observation. And I think it's true. So we see here that Yahshua rejected the traditions of men and so should we. Now, this includes any tradition absent from scripture, certainly traditions that would, uh, maybe not all traditions, but certainly any tradition that would, that would uh, be placed on Yahweh's, the level of Yahweh's word or certainly contradict his word. We can never abide by any such traditions. And there's many. There's many in Judaism. There's many in Christianity. You know, there's so many people, by the way, in this faith, this walk, that they will gravitate towards Judaism. And I tell those people, look, the same traditions that we are trying to avoid in Christianity, you find in Judaism. We've got to walk the middle. We've got to do a scripture. We can't do that. The Jews, it's really amazing. You know, the Jews believe essentially that the rabbis have authority to add to the word, just like the Roman church. A lot of people don't know that. We need to be very careful about these things. Not to gravitate towards Judaism, not to gravitate towards Christianity, gravitate towards Yahweh and him alone. Well, I believe there's many, many great people in the church, and I believe that. I think there's some phenomenal people today in the church. 
Some of them maybe will or knows will, will come to this truth, but so much of their th- theology is borrowed from paganism, the uh, traditions of men, and we just can't accept that as believers. We're to do as Joshua did and simply follow the word, avoiding any traditions of men. I want to summarize the points we've covered today. One of our example, Joshua, was what? He was without sin. He was without guile. Yahweh also did what? Yahweh loved, right, mankind. And Yahshua loved mankind, our example. Our example, he humbled himself. Our example forgave. Our example showed compassion. Our example rejected a pharisaical attitude, and along with that, the commandments of men. You know, it's important to remember the word to follow, the word to mimic, the word to emulate our Savior. For us to do this, we must understand who our Savior was and what he believed. And again, there's many, many core values we can look at. And I would encourage everybody to go back this year and spend some time focusing on who Yahshua was, looking at his ethics, his values, the morality that he showed, how he worshiped. Examine the life of our Savior. You know, there's no greater standard or example than our Savior. I would also like to say, since this is the last time I'm going to probably be up here, what an absolute pleasure it's been to have you at this feast. It is such a blessing. It is such a blessing to see those who gather to come. And again, you know, especially this year, I know it's been a real challenge for some of you. Some of you might go back and they just might quarantine, quarantine you for 14 days. Well, I know they will for some of you, but that's okay, because we're doing what's right. We're following scripture. We're following Yahweh's word. He comes first. He comes first. You know, I know, and, and look, everybody has, I'm not going to push anybody this year, but I believe that Yahweh is going to really show some blessings for those who showed up, those who showed a desire, a willingness, a devotion, a commitment to be here. It wasn't easy, and I know for some of you it was really, really hard, but it's worth it. It really is, and I pray that we, uh, we've um, learned some great lessons. I pray that we've uh, developed and we've, uh, we have some great and fond memories that we're going to take away from this feast. It's been a really good feast. I think we've had a really good group of people here, and I've been doing this for a long time, and uh, I think we've had a lot of civility. A lot of unity, a lot of shalom, and uh, that's the effort not of just one or two, but that's the effort of of all. So just um, thank everybody. Again, it's been an absolute pleasure. May Yahweh bless you. May Yahweh be with you. May he see you through this year, and may we see you next spring. And COVID or not, we're going to be here. May Yahweh bless.